Good morning. Probably shouldn't have walked right in front of that speaker. Sorry about that. So uh, my family and I are really excited about being here this morning. Um, and mainly excited to be with Sean and Annie. We haven't seen Sean and Annie in quite a while since the pandemic. Uh, Sean mentioned that I might have some dirt on him uh, from college. Well, uh, surprisingly, Sean's probably one of the few friends that I actually don't have a lot of dirt on, um, just because um, when I met him, he was already a believer. He was already with Annie. Uh, they weren't engaged yet. Um, but uh, the one thing that comes to my mind when I think of Sean is he's um, he really loves the local church. And that's one of the first things that I knew about him whenever, uh, whenever I met him. He was already... Um, I think he was at um, FBC Moore, Oklahoma, whenever I met him, and then he um, and then he became a youth pastor at Sooner Baptist uh, down in, in Norman, Oklahoma. So uh, he's already uh, when I met him, he was already super involved in the local church, um, and yeah, I'm just really glad that he's uh, your pastor, that he's uh, he's super committed to the local church and just. Um, the love of Christ is definitely in his heart um, and in his life. So, um, yeah, so really thankful to be here. Um, maybe if I end up coming back in a couple months, I'll try to spend that time to dig up some dirt on Sean. I'll try to bring that to you. Um, so, but let us uh, begin this morning uh, by opening your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 1. Uh, and we're going to read through the whole chapter, and then we're going to be focusing on verses uh, 37 uh, through 47. So let us read God's Word. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing him speak in his own language. And they were amazed and they were astonished saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. 
And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, and the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, and that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all, 
as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you so much for Jesus Christ, that you sent him to save us from sin. And Lord, we are thankful that you give us the Holy Spirit um, to be made holy, to be sanctified, to be set apart, um, to advance uh, the gospel of salvation that you have given us. Lord, we pray this in your son's name. Amen. You may sit down. So during this nightmare of a year, uh, this year 2020, um, many of us have learned to wait. We have had to learn to be patient. Uh, Many of us have lost jobs. Uh, Many of us have um, been able to get our jobs back. Uh, Many of us have had to seclude ourselves for several weeks. Um, Many of us Uh, I don't know about you, but I know some friends who they went to go on vacation right before this and they were stuck. um, They were stuck in Crete for like months. Uh, And uh, and when they eventually got back, they still had to quarantine for a couple weeks. So during all of this, we have all learned uh, to wait. And, And waiting isn't something that we're not used to, but it's always something that's uncomfortable. Waiting is always something that's uncomfortable because... Not only are we humans who, um, who desire to have everything for our lives, we are also living in uh, the 21st century where we can have everything at our fingertips. And, and waiting for the Lord um, is, is really no different. How many times have you waited for the Lord to answer your prayers? How many times have you prayed and prayed and prayed and asked God for, for Him to do something in your life and, and there's no answer? But how long did you wait when you actually did hear an answer? How long did you wait and you prayed and God did give you what you prayed for? According to His will, of course. It might not have been how you thought it was going to come about, but He always answers your prayers and He always gives you what you need. And the people of God in the Old Testament uh, were waiting for the salvation of the Lord. Uh, they had been promised by God for salvation to come. And this is what we read in Zechariah 9.9 as it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt. The foal of a donkey. This was written 500 years before Jesus. And that's astonishing. That these people have been hearing prophecies their entire lives and they still had to wait 500 years. Obviously, every one of them died. But they told their children and they told their children and they told their children about how God is faithful and God will... Uh, fulfill his promises. But we read in Matthew 21 about the fulfillment of this prophecy. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, 
the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did, Jesus, and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, and put on them their cloaks and sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This is the Savior that Peter is preaching about to men and and women in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2. This same Jesus that these people praised, Hosanna to the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they also crucified. They put him to death because they believed that he was blaspheming the Lord God. But this Savior did not die. He rose again and ascended to the heavens. And this Savior is the one that's promised by Peter's sermon. And now that brings us to verses 37 through 47. It's the people's response to this sermon. And that brings us to our uh, thesis today. Our thesis today is salvation is in Jesus Christ, sealed by the gift of the Holy Spirit to the children of God and advanced through the local church. And I'll read that again. Salvation is in Jesus Christ, it's sealed by the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's to the children of God. And it's advanced through the local church. So salvation is in Jesus Christ. After hearing Peter's sermon, the men and women said, uh, What shall we do? Well, they needed to be saved from their sins. They needed the salvation that is in Jesus Christ, and we also need that salvation. So what do we mean when we say that salvation is in Jesus Christ? Well, we mean that without Jesus Christ, we would not be saved. Simply as that. But saved from what? Saved from what? What, is, what does Peter say that they need, to, they need to be saved from? Well, they need to be saved from their sin. They're the ones who are born into sin and born against God. And according to Romans 3, we're all born into sin. And none is righteous. No, not one. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And the glory of God is perfect and is holy. So, as we know, we as humans, if we are born into sin, we are already below this perfectness, and we are already below His holiness. But we also sin. So we're not, all, not just born into sin, we also continually sin day by day. Which means we continue to disobey God, we continue to fall short, 
every single day of our lives. However, and that's one of my favorite words to say when preaching the gospel, is however, or nevertheless, Jesus, as the God-man, has taken our sins and taken the ultimate punishment for them. Peter said that Jesus came and he was doing all these wondrous signs. He was healing people. He was raising people from the dead. However, he was still put to death. And the apostles were, they, they didn't know what to think when that happened. A lot of them hit. But then when they learned that Jesus rose from the grave, they were excited. They felt liberated. Because in the, in the name of Jesus Christ is the forgiveness of sins. Because he rose from the grave, that means he has defeated death and he has defeated sin. And this is our first need in the world. Our first need in the world is that we need forgiveness from sin. And so what is their response? What shall we do, they say? Well, the first thing they are called to do is to repent. Repenting from sin and turning from our disobedient ways and turning to Christ is the first step of obedience to God. Believing that Jesus Christ is truly God and also truly man, that he did everything that he said that he did, that the apostles said he did, that he died for our sins, that he was raised after three days, and that he ascended according to verses 32 and 33. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. So it's not just repenting from sin and having faith in Christ. It is also being baptized to symbolize what was happening in their hearts. This passage says that they were cut to the heart. So if they were cut to the heart and they were asked to repent and believe, then they are also called to be baptized. See, baptism is a outward sign of what's happening inwardly. Whatever was happening in their heart, the humble state of their heart that has come upon them by the Holy Spirit is now going to be visible to all who see them be baptized. So forgiveness is their first need. And not only that, their second need is that they need to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Salvation is sealed by the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is an integral part of salvation. Just as important as Jesus Christ is to salvation. Because even though Jesus defeated death, and He defeated sin, and was raised to life, if He did not give us the gift of the Holy Spirit, then we would be wandering around wondering, what the heck are we supposed to do? We would still be stumbling day by day, more than we already are, because obviously we still stumble. But without the Holy Spirit, we would not be able to actually grow in holiness. We would not be able to grow closer to God. Even though we would be in right standing with God because of Jesus Christ, we would not be able to actually grow in our lives on this earth to be closer to God. So throughout Acts, we see the Holy Spirit acting in different ways, and even in the Old Testament. We see him filling the apostles on the day of Pentecost with foreign languages. We read about all those people that were around. There were Arabians, there were Galileans, there were people from Syria, surrounding nations. 
even Asia. And they could speak their language because of the Holy Spirit. And they also had tongues of fire. Like I don't even, I can't even describe that. Well, I'm just going to move on from there. So, but we see Peter also filled with the Holy Spirit on that day. And we see him filled with the Holy Spirit. And he preaches the first sermon on Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And he preaches that to the men of Jerusalem, to the ones who actually crucified Jesus. But we also see him in verse 37. Let's read that again. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? So you might say, where is the Holy Spirit in this passage? It doesn't say. Well, the Holy Spirit is right there when it says they were cut to the heart. Hebrews 4.12 says, The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And we also read in Ephesians 6.17, when Paul is talking about putting on the armor of God, he says, Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So the Holy Spirit has the authority and power to cut deep into man's heart and show his true intentions. We know that man being born in sin and sinning daily cannot by himself convict himself. Even if it's the best sermon that we read in the entire Bible, if it's Peter's sermon, they still needed help because they were so stuck in the slavery to sin that they could not get themselves out. But the Holy Spirit, being the Spirit of truth, convicts them. And the Holy Spirit cuts to the heart of man. And the words of the Bible also cut to the Word of man. Because as we read, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. So it's the Spirit's working, but it's also the Scripture's working. And we read that by Peter's sermon. Peter's sermon, he quoted several different passages within the Old Testament. So he knew the power of the Old Testament. He knew it as being true. But he also knew that the Holy Spirit had to convict them. And the Holy Spirit is also needed by those to receive the forgiveness of their sins. So we read this in uh, John 14. Uh, Jesus says, "...if you love me, you will keep my commandments." And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. This is not a promise um, to Muslims that Muhammad is the prophet to come. Uh, within the Quran, it quotes this passage, but it twists it. Um, and that's, that's not what it says at all. Because we read later in verse 26 of chapter 14, when Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And we also read that the Holy Spirit is the seal of our salvation. In 1 Corinthians 1, 21-22, it says, 
And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. See, the gift of the Holy Spirit to believers is a promise that Jesus will not forget them. And it's also a gift to us. It's a seal that Jesus will not leave us, especially during this crazy year. We have all thought, well, this is the end. This is how we go out. You know, this everything's just going to, you know, burn and be burnt down. And, you know, we'll just have to live either live with the ashes or we'll be with Jesus in heaven. But the seal of the Holy Spirit that Jesus gives is a promise, a guarantee that he will come back for us, that we actually belong to him. So even though you may have been saved at age six or seven, or you were saved this year, you have been given the seal of the Holy Spirit as a promise that Jesus will keep you in himself until the end, and you will be with him in heaven. And this promise, as we see, it goes to the children of God. So salvation is in Christ. It's sealed by the gift of the Holy Spirit, but it's also to the children of God. Verse 39 says, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. We read that the Holy Spirit is the one who cuts to the heart of men and we read that the Lord God is the one who calls people to himself in order to give this salvation to how does that make us feel how does that make us feel when we realize that this has been God's plan since the beginning that he has actually chosen people to bring to himself. So even though Peter knows this, even though Peter said this, that he knows that everyone that the whom Lord our God calls to himself will be saved, right? Why doesn't he stop preaching at that moment? Well, because he knows that he is called to preach the gospel of salvation. That's why. He is exhorting each and every person to save themselves from their own wickedness. And we see that in verse 40 through 41. After, after talking about how the Lord our God calls people to himself, he says, And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. He knows God is going to call people to himself. However, he continues and continues and continues to exhort the people to repent and be baptized and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know how long he went on preaching. Um, uh, some, of the, some of the sermons that we hear nowadays are about 30 to 40 minutes. There are some pastors that preach an hour. You know, Praise God that... You know, Sean's not one of those every Sunday. You have to start pretty early. So, but we see that um, Peter kept going on and going on and going on that, that Luke, the author of Acts, just simply said, 
And he just continued with other words. Like he just kept going and kept going and kept going until he was convicted that he should stop. So in this way, he kept preaching and exhorting until the people of the crowd came to salvation. And this is actually how God is going to advance the gospel in our day. So we read that salvation is in the Lord Jesus Christ, that salvation is sealed by the gift of the Holy Spirit, but it's also to the children of God. And now we see that salvation is advanced through the local church. Salvation is advanced through the local church. The people of God, after receiving the forgiveness of their sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, were then lifted up to be with Jesus Christ immediately for all eternity. That's not what the Bible says. That would be amazing in its own right. Once you're saved, you would just go immediately to heaven, and great, all your problems are gone. But, but this isn't what the Bible says. It says that after receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, what did the believers do? Well, they devoted themselves to one another, and they praised God together. And they were not only coming together, but also going out together. In verses 46 and 47, it says, And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. See, salvation for believers doesn't stop at forgiveness of sins. It doesn't stop at re the receipt of the Holy Spirit. And it also doesn't stop at once we join together with the local church. Salvation is actually advanced by God through the people of God. They were making plans each day to attend the temple and having meals together. But they were saved through Jesus. So why would they go to the temple? They didn't need to do a sacrifice. They didn't. They received the Holy Spirit. God was now in them. Why were they going out and talking to others? Shouldn't they have just stayed home and you know, praise God and life would be happy? Well, they could have, but they were actually being obedient to Jesus. Because in Jesus' day, Jesus is God, and He was going to the temple, and He was going to synagogues. But why? Because he knew that there were people within that temple and within that, in those synagogues that needed to hear the gospel. They needed to hear the good news that, that Jesus had come to forgive them of their sins and to die for them. And so the people of the first early church, they desired to engage with people and to preach the gospel to them, as did Peter and the apostles towards them. So in the same way that Peter preached the sermon to these people and, three, and now 3,000 people are saved, those 3,000 people did exactly what Peter did. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, so obviously they would want to obey the apostles. But they were also filled with the Holy Spirit and having a confidence went out day by day to <laughs> preach to others. Now one of the amazing things is that uh, in verse 47, um, let's see here. 
actually in uh, verse 46. It says, Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received the food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. So they were not only going out and preaching the gospel of salvation, but the Lord was actually giving them favor with the people. So the Lord was going before them to help them have peaceful conversations. That doesn't mean that every single person they talk to believes in the gospel. And we know that. We talk to people every day. I talk to my daughter every day, and I'm like, you need to believe the gospel. Like, you're being disobedient. And she, you know, runs around and just keeps kicking down chairs. But we see that the Lord has been so involved in salvation that He has sent Jesus to us, right? He has sealed us with the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we are not only united to Jesus, but we now have God in us in order to preach the gospel to others. But we see that God is actually going before these people. He is going before these people. And what desire brought this about? Well, we read in verse 43 that an awe or fear came upon every soul. This awe, this fear, what is, what is this awe or fear? Well, it's the fear of God. It's the humility before God knowing exactly who He is, that He is holy and righteous. And John Piper uh, summarizes it this way for us. He says, The absence of this fear has a direct effect on the way we accumulate possessions for ourselves. And the way we ignore the needy, the way we trivialize fellowship, and the way we play more than we pray. If the awesome teaching of the apostles would stand forth in the way that it did in Peter's preaching on Pentecost, and if the Lord confirmed his truth with wonders and signs, this holy, happy fear would come upon the church, and the material possessions would become as nothing except to serve others. People, not things, would become precious beyond words. And when they met together, they would meet God. This holy, happy fear that, uh, that the author is mentioning is the reality that God brings salvation to sinners. God is also wrathful towards sin and sinners. And so without salvation, they would be punished severely and for all eternity. So it is this fear, knowing that God is good, but He's also just. And God's plan of salvation is to use His people to reach others and proclaim the good news. And this is grounded in the fact that we know the depths of our sin, but also how great God is for saving us. So what are we supposed to do now? Well, we're supposed to follow what this passage says. We're supposed to continue to repent, continue to believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is good, that He has saved us, that we should know that we have the Holy Spirit, that we should be convicted daily of our sin, that we should have a confidence in sharing the gospel to others, that we should pursue uh, other members in fellowship. We should be devoted to one another. And we should also have the fear of God be rekindled in our hearts to give us the reality that, you know, today might be the day. Today might be the last day. 
but today might be the day that this person actually comes to Christ. So let us pray. Lord, we thank you uh, for your word. Uh, We thank you that you are so holy and true, that you have loved us since the beginning, that you uh, desire to bring us to yourself, uh, that you have given us Jesus Christ, and we are now in right standing with you because of him. That by believing in him, we have been sealed by the gift of the Holy Spirit, that we can now have confidence in advancing the gospel. That we will not just think, okay, well, God will take care of it. He'll save them without me. Well, He actually wants to use us, and He desires to use us, because He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us the confidence and the words to speak. And so we pray this uh, in Your Son's name. Amen.